exploring the business case for urban air mobility. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. One of the most exciting developments in business aviation over the past few years has been the emergence of urban air mobility, or UAM. Also known as electric-powered vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, eVTOL, and even the old standby flying cars, these vehicles aim to redefine how people and cargo are transported over large cities and beyond. Of course, excitement for a new form of aerial transportation is one thing. Establishing a business case for it that is marketable, accessible, and profitable is quite another. That's why NBAA partnered recently with the strategic financial advisory firm Nexa Advisors on a report titled Business Aviation Embraces Electric Flight, How Urban Air Mobility Creates Enterprise Value. This white paper establishes a convincing argument that the time for UAM in our industry is now. Joining us to discuss this study and its implications for business aviation is Nexa Advisors founder and managing partner Michael Diamond, co-author of this white paper as well as an earlier report, UAM Economics and Global Markets 2020 through 2040, that was a joint undertaking between NBAA, Aviation Week Network, and other respected industry groups. Also with us is Cyrus Sagari, executive chairman of business aircraft sales and acquisition firm Jetaviva and co-founder and general partner of Up Partners, a venture capital firm investing in urban and regional air mobility systems. Michael, if you could start us out with some background on the work Nexa Advisors has done in the business aviation industry. We're an investment bank, uh, and we've done uh, work over the decades, really, in uh, aerospace and aviation. Some 20 years ago, we established a working relationship with NBAA, and the entire business aviation community to identify how aircraft, business aviation aircraft, can generate and sustain enterprise value for the companies that they serve. So that's an integral part of, um, of banking is to understand value exchanges and so forth. So that's the history. And we started in um, the early part of uh, the last decade looking at business aviation closely and and identifying uh, how aircraft can serve companies that have an active uh, flight department or who charter quite extensively. And we found that some of the best performing companies in the world are heavy users of business aircraft and business aviation services. Cyrus, you've been at the forefront in this industry in bringing UAM to business aviation. What first drew you to this emerging industry segment? I think to address that question, I have to give a little bit of historical background as to what drew me towards this burgeoning new, new segment. I was involved roughly now almost 20 years ago in the launch of the Very Light Jet. So I got to be there 20 years ago to see the emergence of a new segment, and I'm seeing it again today, or rather I've been seeing it now for close to four years and observing this space and being active in it. But the difference is the potential impact to humanity is probably on the order of three times, three, three orders magnitude more. You know, an Eclipse 500 jet for a million bucks, that could probably affect tens of thousands of people at scale. When you're talking about the types of products in the aeromobility space, it could affect all of humanity, all 8 billion people, be it from uh, moving goods to emergency services to urban air mobility and transporting people from city center to city center. There's really nobody on the planet that 
can't potentially benefit from uh, using the third dimension as, as a way to, to move around. So that's number one. It's a much larger scale of market to address. Second is the convergence of exponential technologies are all happening at the same time to allow this to happen. From a technological perspective, if you just focus on the tech, we have all the components to really remove the obstacles to allow people to interact with a third dimension in a meaningful way. We have a lot of other obstacles as it relates to the regulatory environment from being a good neighbor perspective as it relates to noise, to safety, to training, all those sorts of things that are real, real issues. But the prospect of taking advantage of a domain, which is the sky, and it's pretty exciting to think about what the future could look like 10, 20 years from now, where we have a lot of those issues addressed as it relates to airspace management, to automation, to battery capacity, charging, logistics, this, that, and the other, to create a whole new domain for moving people and goods. What drew my attention and got me excited about it is I've been there, done that. I've seen the, the human response to this to a new domain as it relates to interacting with the third dimension. And it had some real obstacles, but I think we've got a totally different set of dynamics that make this much more real and likely to happen. Michael, Cyrus just alluded to some of the technological advances that your report also identified as drivers enabling this push toward eVTOL and UAM. Tell us about those. Well, the most important uh, technological advances uh, have to do with electric propulsion beginning with batteries. Certainly the automotive sector has found the way to mass manufacture large storage batteries uh, for automobiles. And although those batteries, the way they're configured, are not directly suitable for urban air mobility, they get us about 90% of the way there. Other aspects of this new market that are technologically driven include things like advanced flight control systems. As Cyrus alluded, urban air mobility vehicles, known as eVTOLs, uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, are going to, for the most part, be using multiple rotors. They actually change the flight characteristics of a standard helicopter and uh, create a far more stable and efficient uh, platform to be able to move people or cargo around. Then I think also there's a pull aspect to this. So the technology creates a push dimension, but the pull aspect Uh, in particular for corporations that need greater levels of mobility. There are gaps in what business aviation can do today, uh, due primarily to uh, the aircraft and the need for operating into and out of airports, where these new uh, technologies and platforms enable somebody to walk into the parking lot of the corporate head office and get a flight uh, to an airport or perhaps to another meeting location right from their location directly. And these have very substantial economic and financial benefits for corporations. It's also worth noting, I think, that your report made clear this isn't just about the aircraft themselves. We're talking about creating an entire infrastructure by which UAM vehicles will be flown, maintained, and supported. Indeed, with our uh, latest research, the urban air mobility study we completed a couple of months ago, we looked at 75 cities around the world, their metropolitan areas, which is where most corporate head offices are, and looked at the value formula for the efficient addition of uh, new mobility services. And what we saw from our analysis 
was that uh, flight departments that are currently operating jets or turboprops have a new service offering for the employees and executives of these uh, corporations. And so some of these new vehicles have a range of up to 600 miles, but because they're vertical takeoff and landing, there's no need to go to an airport. And when you begin to think about the applications for this, as Cyrus had mentioned, the list is pretty extensive. So the potential for UAM in business aviation seems pretty clear, but there are also some sizable challenges that will need to be overcome before we see large-scale UAM operations. Cyrus, what are some of the challenges that you see, and how do you think the industry will be able to overcome them? Well, no doubt, there are a lot of challenges that need to be overcome before we can get to this at-scale uh, utilization of, of the third dimension in, in a way that's not traditional business aviation today. Um, and it can be broken down to a few uh, primary categories. The first one's noise. That's a really, really, really big deal. People complain about drones and the, the, it's, it's beyond just the noise, it's the annoyance frequency. There's a certain frequency that is kind of annoying and that the annoying frequency of drones is, is, can really make it very uncomfortable to listen to. So getting the right frequency band in terms of the, the quality of the sound that's being emitted from these flying machines is really important. Second is the, the actual amplitude of the decibels that are being emitted. And there's some really, really cool uh, companies doing some really neat things from a technological perspective to reduce the noise signature where we're 65 dB at 50 feet, you know, which is really, really quiet, relatively speaking, compared to a traditional helicopter. The regulatory environment if you look at 737 MAX today, we are year plus to recertify one component on a traditional flight control system by the largest aircraft manufacturer in the world. Like that, that has to make everybody take a pause moment and go, oh my goodness, what's it going to require to actually certify a new machine with everything about it being new, the power plant being new, the way flight controls are, are being utilized new, potentially without pilots being new. I mean, it, there's a lot of risk stacked up there from a regulatory perspective to get to a level of safety that the uh, population is going to need and want. Cyrus, having covered this industry myself for the past several years, I've noticed a change in how we speak of those challenges. There are no longer concrete barriers in our way, but instead hurdles that can be overcome and will be overcome. There is one really good thing we got going for us, which is I don't think there is a human on the planet that wouldn't be excited about a future of quote unquote flying cars. I think it's, we all desire for that. This is something we, I think, generally all have inherently within our, our, our souls. So leveraging off of the population's desire and will as a driver towards getting regulators on board, to getting investors on board, to getting technologists on board, to deploy their resources and assets towards developing this, this space. I don't think we're going to have that public perception issue as it relates to aerial mobility because it's for the benefit of all. And when it's for the benefit of all, you get a totally different headspace around solving the problems. And so it really just becomes a checklist of, okay, let's take care of this one, let's take care of this one, let's take care of this one. Michael, your study also highlighted how these systems will also strengthen the UBV formula for existing business aviation flight operations. That utilization of urban air mobility vehicles will yield benefits, creating enterprise value. We extended the uh, traditional business aviation UBV framework we've used over the years to include benefits of corporations dipping their toes, so to speak, into urban air mobility. 
One of the things that it's important to note is that business aviation is a business tool. Uh, these aircraft are used by almost 95% of the S&P 500 companies located uh, in the United States because they give a competitive advantage to uh, companies that operate flight departments or who charter on a regular basis. Being able to tackle the highly congested piece of business travel, which is largely congestion due to city street traffic and, and congestion that is that can add hours to a trip uh, across town, for example, is uh, pretty interesting. And so we're able to uh, identify a whole new class of, of utilization strategies using eVTOLs in particular to uh, aid these corporations in becoming even more efficient from a transportation standpoint. One interesting fact that we came across in our market research is that the existing flight departments have really all the tools and abilities to be able to safely integrate electric vehicles into their fleets. They have trained pilots, they have safety systems that are up and operating. Many of these Part 91 operators have extensive training programs for pilots. The same goes with the Part 135 operators. And in our view, uh, eVTOL creates a new potential revenue stream Certainly, the helicopter operators as well, the charter helicopter operators should be able to step into this new mode of operating with these new vehicles and begin to enjoy revenues and profitability very quickly. Cyrus? What gets me having a hard time falling asleep at night in a good way and waking up really early, excited, is to really think about the scope of what is possible moving forward as it relates to this new emerging market. To, to put in perspective, the entire helicopter market today, worldwide, is about an $8 billion market, which is not a small sum of money, but it's not huge when you compare it to some other markets. Some relatively well-recognized organizations have done some pretty thoughtful modeling um, as it relates to what the future market size of this business can be. Porsche Consulting did an analysis on you know, what they think this market can be in the future. And we're talking 2030, 2040 timeframe. So today we're at $8 billion for the helicopter market. Porsche Consulting is looking at this to be a $250 billion market. We're talking 30 to 40 times bigger. That's one report. Booz Allen Ham Hamilton, they did a similar report. They said, Porsche, you're, you're in the right order of magnitude, but we think it's going to be $500 billion. That's a hate almost 100 times bigger than the, the helicopter market is today. They didn't stop there. Morgan Stanley, you know, a pretty smart group of folks there that have done a lot of modeling on, on, on future markets. They're calling it to be a $1.5 trillion market by the year 2030 to 2040. And if you're looking at the future of area mobility being forecasted in the next 20 years to be $1.5 trillion, and, it's, and let's just call helicopters as the baseline at $8 billion, this is huge. This is imagining as if we are at the dawn of the automotive industry from day one. We have a similar sort of experience as it relates to redefining the way that people move people and goods. And it's just a really exciting time to be, to be alive and get to be at the, the, the beginning of this entire new industry. To read the Nexa Advisors' reports on the future of urban air mobility in business aviation and to keep track of all the latest developments in this exciting field, go to nbaa.org and search for UAM. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. 
Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock, and thanks for listening to Flight Plan.